Will you take your Bibles? Will you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8? Today we come to, by my count, the 10th message in our series on the conscience. And from what I understand, there will be several more to come. But we have learned a number of things about the conscience. We've learned a number of sobering realities in this study. We've learned that the conscience functions based upon knowledge. Wonderfully, God has created all mankind with the work of the law written in his heart. Every man has a sense of right and wrong. And what that does is allow society to steadily progress instead of immediately descend into absolute anarchy and chaos. Notwithstanding, man's knowledge must rise higher. God's people need to learn what God wants. God's people need to learn His will. You see, we don't naturally know what God wants us to do. That's a sobering thing. We need to know more. And perhaps it's very sobering to realize that we don't know what we don't know. There are so many things in life that are just beyond us. There's such a vast chasm between our knowledge and God's knowledge. What is right? What is wrong? Well, as we further consider this, I have to realize that the conscience functions based on knowledge. We don't have all the knowledge. We need to be growing in our knowledge to further complicate the matter. Christians who love God don't have the same knowledge either. They're at different levels of knowledge, but God has called them to be together, to work together, and so magnified Him. Even though some Christians are young in the faith, some are old. Some are imbalanced one way and others another way. So in a local church, there is always going to be a difference of knowledge between our unsaved children, between our newly saved children, between an unsaved friend, between a newly saved brother or sister in the Lord, or between an aged saint. You see, a local church represents a broad spectrum of knowledge. And we have to realize that is all within the providence of God. And given that, brothers and sisters in the Lord, we turn to 1 Corinthians 8. And I want us to consider today a weak conscience protected. A weak conscience protected. Let's bow before the Lord in prayer. Father, as we have this wonderful opportunity to look in your word, we pray that it would find a resting place in our hearts. That as we just sang a moment ago, that we would have a place for Christ in our hearts and our homes, that in this moment we would have a place for your word in our hearts. We are reminded of the passage that calls us to let your word dwell in us richly. And Father, we pray that you would fulfill that desire of our hearts in these moments together in Jesus' name. Amen. Once I was waiting in the nurse's office at the elementary school, 
And I noticed a sign on the wall that read like this. When faced with the choice to be right or to be kind, choose to be kind. A smart aleck or a sweet Susan? You know, who, who likes a, a smart aleck? Who likes Mr. Know-it-all? Who likes the person who always thinks that he knows best? Who likes the person who always points out the problems of other people? You see, it's really easy to understand why that sign in the nurse's office said to choose kindness. People can have their feelings hurt by Mr. Know-it-all. Well, as we go into our study in 1 Corinthians 8, there, is a, there are negative consequences of Mr. Know-it-all. And these negative consequences go far beyond simply hurting someone's feelings. I invite you to look in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 11, where the Bible says this, So by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. Knowledge can be destructive. Now, how could that be true? Perhaps a child is corrected so often that he feels he's a failure, and he feels he's good for nothing. Or perhaps a couple locks horns because one of them always feels he has to be right. He feels that he must always win the argument because he's right. Therefore, the commitment to the marriage kind of gives way to the craving to be correct. Or perhaps the church that can't get along because of some situation where one side believes that they're right, the other side believes that they're wrong. So for the sake of being correct, some people forsake their covenant to the local body of Christ. Or think about a country whose citizens have different opinions of what is right and what is wrong different ideas of what the facts are. And so civil war breaks out. So it's really not surprising that knowledge can be destructive. But what we find in 1 Corinthians 8 is something different than that. Something far more serious because it involves a person's relationship with God. The situation in Corinth was tense. And the issue is stated in verse 1. Look with me in your Bible at 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1. The Bible says, Now concerning food offered to idols. Now, you're probably not excited by those words, are you? Because my guess is that you have never wondered about food offered to idols, except that you read the Bible and read about it. In our context, we're not used to idols. Of course, a third of the world's population still worships idols. But we should at least be able to identify with the drama that's taking place in Corinth. Some in Corinth thought that eating food offered to idols was a problem. And others thought eating such food was not a problem. In fact, they thought it was their right to eat that food. 
And it's in the midst of this drama that's going on in Corinth that we learn more about the conscience. We see references to the conscience in verse 7, 10, and 12. Last week, we already considered verse 7. We already looked at a defiled conscience. In 1 Corinthians 8, a defiled conscience came from eating food offered to idols. That's what you see in verse 7. So in principle, we realize that a defiled conscience comes from going against your conscience. A person defiles his own conscience by making a rebellious, sinful choice to go against his conscience. And that is illustrated for us here in 1 Corinthians 8. And it's further explained for us as being a sinful thing in Romans 14. That's where we saw in Romans 14 where it says, whatever is not from faith is sin. That's what we learned last time. Now let's fashion our attention on the conscience in verse 12. The Bible says, Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. This is a major issue. But let's try to discover what's happening here. Now, young people, as you're looking at your Bibles right now, look at verse 12. And notice the two words that begin with W that describe the conscience. What are they? First is weak. The second is wounded. So this morning we see a weak conscience may be wounded by others. A weak conscience may be wounded by others. Say, what's a weak conscience? A weak conscience is one that lacks knowledge. The weak don't know what others know. Look at verse 1 and verse 7. Just a few words there. Now concerning food offered to idols, notice these next two words. We know. There's part of the situation going on. Now go to verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge. There's the rest of the situation. Some know something and others don't. That's the stuff of the drama. Verse 4 tells us what some know. It says in verse 4, We know that an idol has no real existence and that there's no God but one. And then verse 7 shows us that some other people know something else. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols. You see, on the one hand, some people had a theological understanding of idols. On the other hand, some had an experiential understanding of idols. And this second group is called weak. In verse 7, 9, 10, 11, and 12. Why? Because they lack the knowledge of the first group. Before we move on, let me draw two conclusions. First, as I said in the, in the long introduction today, there will always be a difference of knowledge within a church, whether it's between someone who is newly saved or an aged saint, or any two you might choose. There is always going to be a difference of knowledge. And that is in God's good providence that that situation is true. In addition to there being a difference of knowledge, second, everyone lacks knowledge. Look at verse 2. 
If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. You see, no one has a firm grasp of all knowledge or of God's perfect will. All of us are called, as Peter said, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All of us need to learn more. Therefore, we have to realize there are some things that we don't know are right. And there are some things that we don't realize are wrong. More on that as we'll find in chapter 10. But for now, just consider that the weak don't know what the others know. Also, the weak don't have the confidence to do what others do. You see, their conscience makes them cowards, as Shakespeare said. You see, they eat and they defile their conscience when they do so because they're going against conscience, verse 7. Whereas those with knowledge eat. And it doesn't defile their conscience. On the one hand, they eat and their conscience registers rebellion. And on the other hand, there's no wrong being registered. So you might say, well, what would happen if someone who was weak saw someone with knowledge eating what was offered to idols? Well, that's exactly the kind of scenario that Paul brings up. Look at verse 10. Paul brings up this situation that we need to consider if, if, if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged or strengthened, which is the same word that comes up in verse 1 where it says love edifies, love builds up, love strengthens. It says, will he not be encouraged or emboldened if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? Say, what's happening here? If one person who's weak is another person with knowledge who's eating this food, isn't that weak person going to think maybe I should do the same? You've got to remember there's a significance here. What happens when the weak eats? Look at verse 7. When the weak eats, he is going against his conscience. He's defiling his conscience. So what's the impact of this little scenario that Paul is presenting here? Well, Paul tells us exactly what it is. And he describes what that would be. Look at verse 12. He describes this as wounding their conscience. That those with knowledge would be wounding the consciences of the weak. You see, a weak conscience is wounded by being strengthened to go against conscience. A weak conscience is wounded by being strengthened, by being emboldened, by being encouraged to go against it. That is to show us it is wounded by someone's actions. So far in this passage, which I know we haven't read uh, except earlier in the service, but so far we have not seen that those with knowledge are pushing their knowledge on the weak. We simply have a scenario of one person seeing another person, and the result of that sight is a wound to the conscience. You see, the weak is encouraged by those with knowledge 
to go against his conscience and eat. And you look at that and you might think to yourself, or someone might think to themselves, well, that's good. Not bad. I mean, what's wrong with the person eating? I mean, his conscience shouldn't be bound anyway. He shouldn't think that eating that food is bad in the first place. So if he eats, that's great. He's embracing his freedom. He's taking a great step. I I mean, let's all go right now to the temple of Apollo for some ribeyes. This is great. Paul doesn't agree with that. We know that because in verse 12, he labels this as sinful. You sin against your brother. Why? Why would that be a sin? Well, it's sin to encourage someone to sin. That sounds simple, but do you understand it? It is sin to encourage someone to sin. Of course, at this point, I can imagine a person with knowledge who stands up and and he shouts, Hey, come on! It's not even a sin to eat this. Really, how bad could it be to go against your conscience that's overly sensitive? I mean, how bad is it really for him to eat? Come on. Well, the passage would tell us it's absolutely terrible. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, this is where I really need your attention. Here's a point that I don't often read when I read on this topic, there is a connection between the conscience being wounded and a brother being destroyed, verse 11. There is a link between simply eating and being destroyed. And I think most people miss that link. We've actually already covered it together. Do you know what it is? We've already talked about all the stuff of what's going on here. What have we already studied that's kind of like destroyed? What's that from two weeks ago? That's shipwreck. Where did that come from? Well, we learned in 1 Timothy that some have made shipwreck their faith by rejecting a good conscience. That's a picture of destruction. The pathway to such destruction is by rebelling against your conscience. Why is eating so dangerous for the weak? Because eating is a rebellious choice to them. This is one of the most impactful parts of the study of the conscience I've come to. Just to realize that by the book, by looking at our Bibles, we realize that all sin defiles. But not all sin defiles the conscience. Eating defiled the conscience of these weak people. So what's the difference here? It's one thing for you to read that sin is defiling. It's another thing for you in your heart to realize, I'm choosing to rebel. I'm choosing to defile my conscience. And go against it. And the caution we learned from 1 Timothy was this. That you will not long believe in a God you won't obey. Therefore, it is so sinful to encourage a brother to walk the pathway of rebellion against God. 
That is not a light matter at all because it is in our conscience that we subjectively understand a rebellion against God. We can read in the Scriptures objectively about it, but it's our conscience when it becomes a true, real matter between me and God. And the conscience is wounded by being emboldened to sin. I already talked about it for a moment, but just to say again, Paul is using the word here for edification, building up in an ironic way. We know from this book that edification is a key point in Paul's arguments throughout different sections of this book. It is so important that we work hard to build each other up. And Paul here is shaking the people with knowledge who are encouraging other people to go against conscience by their example. He's saying, you're encouraging them, but to their own destruction. This is not good. So I believe this sheds a particular light on the impact of our choices upon other people. Have you ever thought how much what you do impacts other people? And the Scriptures give us a huge array of these kinds of things, all the way from just wicked and bad to seemingly innocent in this case. I mean, think of Jonadab from 2 Samuel chapter 13. He was the one who encouraged Amnon how to have Tamar, his brother Absalom's sister, just a wicked episode. Or we can think of Eve who gave to Adam to eat. Or we can think of David's men who encouraged him to strike down King Saul. You remember in 1 Samuel chapter 24, they thought God had just come down and given his will. King Saul, who had been chasing them, now of all the caves in Israel, he finds himself in the same cave as David and his men. And David's men are preaching to David. David, we all believe that everything happens for a purpose. The planets have aligned. King Saul has come into our cave. It's time for you to rise up and strike him down. God's will is plain and obvious. Right, David? Go get him. And David does. And as as soon as he does, his heart smites him. All the way to the case that we have before us. What's wonderful to read through the Scriptures is to see when people, when they fell, some of them confessed their sin like Adam and David, and they weren't destroyed. But that doesn't make encouraging someone to defile his conscience a small matter. It's wounding their conscience. According to Paul, it's sinning against them. We've seen that a weak conscience may be wounded by others. Secondly, this morning, we'll see a weak conscience must be protected by others. That's Paul's point. That's what he's driving for in this chapter. You must consider your brother's conscience. That's not often where the conversation starts. Typically, we ask ourselves, well, who's right? What's correct? Are you right? Am I right? Can we eat meat offered to idols or not? But Paul's point is this. You can't make the decision based on your knowledge alone. He begins the chapter and says, we know. He talks about knowledge. And then halfway through he says, however, not all know. And then he starts talking about people. He brings people into the discussion as if they matter to the matter at hand. As if right and wrong aren't all that matter. 
You see, knowledge doesn't end the debate or solve the issue. You have to factor in the impact of your choice upon other people. You have to factor that in if you're going to make a a right decision. And he goes on to plainly say this, you must determine not to cause your brother to stumble. Look at verse 9. Take care. Here's the imperative. Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Verse 13, Therefore, if food makes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. You think, really, Paul? You'd never do that? You'd give up meat? Because that's so much more important? Yeah, that's what he's saying. And he even goes as far to... Help us understand, why would someone cling to something so insignificant? Look at verse 8. Food will not commend us to God. Is food really all that important? Why would you cling to something that is so insignificant? And Paul says, we are no worse off if we do not eat. And no better off if we do. Now that's phrased in such a way to go after the people with knowledge. Isn't it so often the case that the people who think they're exercising a right or liberty, they think that they're better than the person who doesn't feel the freedom to do that? I'm better off because I actually can enjoy my liberty. Hate to be him when he can't enjoy his liberty. Paul says, you're not better off for eating. It's just food. Why cling to something so insignificant? And then he asks such a probing question in verse 11. Or I ask you, why destroy someone for whom Christ died? Look at verse 11. So by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died. Your brother to Christ is precious. But seems to you what's precious is the ribeye. Could it be that too often, too often being correct is prized above a person for whom Christ died? So, brothers and sisters, as we close, remember that sign that was in the office? The one that said, when faced with the choice to be right or to be kind, choose to be kind. That's good advice. That's good advice. No one likes Mr. Know-it-all. But I present to you that what 1 Corinthians 8 is talking about is far more significant than that. When faced with a situation where you have a Bible verse and your brother has a weak conscience, take care for his conscience. Your brother being right with God is far more important than your brother being right like you. Let's close in prayer. Father, as we consider this, help us to realize how very important it is for each one of us to be rightly related to you and in walking in humble submission to you. May you use a text like this to help us realize how much we need to spur each other on 
to love and good works, to humble submission to you, that we would do all that is within our power to keep someone else from stumbling, to keep someone else from falling, to keep someone from sinning. Father, help us to not love knowledge and having the right answer, but to love others and desiring that they would be rightly related to you. Father, we pray for your grace and your strength to put this into practice. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.